You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Thank you uh, for joining us again for another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I am being joined by Dr. Norma Cuellar. Uh, Dr. Cuellar received her bachelor's degree in nursing from the University of Southern Mississippi, her master's degree in nursing from Louisiana Health Science Center, and her doctorate of science in nursing from University of Alabama at Birmingham. Uh, She completed a postdoctoral fellowship from the University of Virginia in complementary and alternative medicine. Dr. Cuellar's expertise is in issues around cultural diversity. Her research focus has been in diversity, sleep, and complementary and alternative medicine. She has an established career in teaching at the undergraduate and graduate program, has mentored many students and developed a program specifically including a mentorship program from Latino students advancing their nursing education. Dr. Cuellar is currently the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Transcultural Nursing and has published in peer-reviewed journals as well as as several books, book chapters related to her research area. She is currently funded with the All of Us Research Program with NIH in collaboration with the National Association of Hispanic Nurses. She was awarded the recognition as a transcultural nurse scholar, a recognition of her contributions to the science of culturally congruent healthcare and diversity. Dr. Cuellar is the immediate past president of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses and is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing. Dr. Cuellar's full bio is available on my website, aliartaya.com. And I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Cuellar, welcome. Well, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Um, it's um, looking at all the other speakers. Um, I hope I can I can uh, match up with some of those excellent speakers you had. I'm sure you will, I have no doubt, I have no doubt. Uh, so thank you for your time, I know you're busy. Uh, and um, let's start the, the, the first part of the show. And I ask you, how did you get started in the world of nursing? Well, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I have to tell you that. <laughs> My mother and father had six daughters and she wanted one of them to be a nurse. <laughs> and um, I was number five of six. And I knew my, my baby sister was not going to was definitely not going to do it. But um, anyway, I had actually gone to pre-med and I didn't like it. And I was with my roommate and I thought about some other options. And she said, why don't you go into nursing with me? And I said, okay. <laughs> and I kid you not, that is how I got into nursing. It was the best decision that I've ever made. Um, God put that girl in my life for a reason, because I feel like the choice uh, for nursing as a career and a profession 
uh, can be a lifetime full of opportunities. Now, if it's just a job, you're gonna probably hate it and you're not gonna wanna be a nurse and you're gonna wanna figure out how to get out of nursing. Or maybe, you know, your mother has been in nursing or whoever and they just hate nursing and they tell you, why do you wanna go into nursing? I would guess it's because they see it as a job and not a profession. And there is a big difference. Um, you know, in a profession, you're committed, you're dedicated, you continue your education, uh, you uh, continue to grow and move, um, you know, up the ladder, or it doesn't even have to be a ladder, but you continue to grow personally in yourself. So, um, and you're never stagnant and nursing is like that. If you wanna go from one area to another, you can do that and, and you are qualified uh, as an entry level nurse in just about you know any position, but you have to be willing to learn and you have to maybe move and, and study and you know do what you need to do. Um, I, I will tell you that when I graduated, I wasn't sure what area I wanted to go into. And I had three areas and the area that I chose which is critical care nursing. And again, I went right into critical care nursing and some people say, oh, you need to work on the floor or you need to do this or you need to do that. I don't agree with that. I got some of the best, if you want to call it continuing education. I went to um, Baton Rouge General Medical Center, which is, in, which is in Louisiana. They had a, I want to say a three month, I can't remember, um, orientation. So I got extra classes. So I was able to really um, perfect my skills. Someone was always watching me. Someone was telling me what I needed to do. Someone was guiding me. Um, and I think it's very different than if I had gone on the floor and they just threw you out there and you do what you want to do or you, what you think you're doing. Um, and I think sometimes you might even develop bad skills. So um, along that line, if you're who, who, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're an undergraduate and you're wondering if you should go into a specialty area, I would say if you have a good program that's going to help, you know, in the transition, absolutely. Yeah. I so anyway. Um, after, after I started working there, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to teach. And so, um, again, people say, oh, you shouldn't go back into, you go back to school for two, at least two years. So you can get that clinical practice. You know, um, I did wait two years and I went back and got my master's at LSU. Um, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's necessary either. I've seen students go from their bachelor's right into an NP program, and it's the same principle that I was just talking about. You know, you're just continuing and you're getting a better skill set, and it's really gelling, you know, within your mind or your thoughts. Or uh, So don't let that scare you either. If you really want to do it, you do it. You do what's your passion. You do what, you're, what you really want to do. Um, so I started teaching, and but I always worked. Um, I always stayed in clinical, sort of dabbed in different things. I did home health. Um, I did prison nursing. I did school health nursing. Um, I just, I did a little bit of everything and I did long-term care. Uh, and I just loved it. I love being a nurse. I love that I can make more money if I need to, or if I need to sit back, um, whatever. But the teaching piece was very important. So as you, as I, I knew that if I wanted to stay in teaching and uh, or go into teaching, um, I had to get a PhD. And I say a PhD because that is 
um, a terminal degree for education for if you want to teach in a university setting. You know, there's that big controversy. Is a DNP a terminal degree? And it's a clinical terminal degree, you know, but it, the highest degree that you can get in your profession is considered the terminal degree. And in nursing, you can get a PhD. So I wanted to get the PhD because I wanted to, um, you know, continue on and go through the process because you have to get your PhD to get tenured in, uh, in most universities um, and, um, you know, to get uh, your, your promotions and things like that. That's a whole nother subject that is definitely, um, I, I teach in the DMP program and I love those students. They are great. And, you know, people used to talk about the ivory tower and that there was people that did research and people that practiced and there was nothing connecting it. Well, that's what the DMP does. The DMP connects it. And it can, it can bring so much of that evidence that we have into practice. And uh, it's just a great, a, a great program and a great um, connection. So I don't know how we didn't how we didn't do it, but why we didn't do it sooner. It was very controversial when it started out. But um, anyway, so I've been in te- I've been teaching for 32 years now, and um, I'm a full professor and I am tenured. I've gone through the ranks and I've gone through the tenure process, and um, I, I it's not easy. So if you, if you hear people say teaching is easy, it is not easy. Uh, it is a challenge, um, and it is a lot of work. It's a, a whole lot of work. So that's how I got into nursing, and that's how I got into education, and that's how I got to where I am today. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> now, I know um, you mentioned um, that uh, the DMP thing um, that, that you mentioned, that, that is so true. And I think I think I was at a conference, I don't know, it was about three years ago or so, where um, there was a DMP cohort, and it was a, and I went and I sat in on on that uh, uh, on that sort of a breakout session, and there is so much um, variety, it seems like, in what DMP programs cover, um, and not there isn't there just at the time there just didn't seem to be any consistency on what the DMP was really for. And nobody could really agree on what the DMP was for. And I understand DMP that the, the programs are fairly uh, new. Um, I mean, the Cal State system just only, only the last couple of years, they uh, California agreed that it was going. They were going to allow their California State University systems to have DMP programs. And uh, my university that I teach at now was one of the pilots universities that was teaching the program. I was under evaluation for those for that legislation that that went through. Um, and so, in your opinion, how do we get um, the DMP programs? to be more consistent along the way because the DMP when it first came out they said it's a clinical track where you know it was for like nurse practitioners right and then it went into administration and other um, executive leadership and all this other stuff came out Um, so can you expand on since you have that experience and you just piqued my interest it seems like you're you have a strong opinion on this so I'd like to hear about that. Well, first of all, I think there's a misconception that it started out with nurse practitioners because it did not. Mm. It The NP stands for nursing practice. And it's been around now for about 10 years. And it was, like I said, it was very controversial because there was a lot of concern that um, nurses would choose um, the DNP route rather than the PhD route. And the PhD is, is developing 
knowledge and science. And um, many did not want to lose that focus and were concerned that our PhD numbers would drop. And in fact, they didn't drop, but they haven't risen that much. Now, our number of doctoral prepared faculty, which includes DMPs and PhDs has gone up. So you'll see that number reported, but the number of PhDs um, has remained pretty constant. So it started out with nursing practice and that was, that was leadership, that was midwifery, that was uh, CRNAs, that was nurse practitioners, uh, anybody that, that worked in a clinical setting. It was not intended for educators. It was not intended for researchers. When you do a scholarly project, that is not supposed to be research and you are not supposed to call it research. It's not a dissertation. It's a scholarly uh, project. Um, and even, even now people, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, I'm working on my dissertation. I said, oh, you know, you're getting your PhD. Oh no, I'm getting my DNP. And no, you don't, that, that is not part of the essential criteria that AACN has put out. So, um, you know, you have to use the correct terminology for, for these two. So um, I would say, if you have any questions, you need to look at the essentials, the AACN essentials that tell you what the DNP program is. Now, a lot of people look at that and they have a broad, um, uh, definition of it, you know, they read into it. Um, it. It's sort of interesting because to me, it's, a, it's and I, I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings about this, but it's sort of like the ADN and the BSN. And what is the difference in uh, how people describe that? And, and what, what are they, uh, what, what are they saying? And what, you know, so it's sort of that, that uh, fine line there. Um, but each, all of those roles are very important in patient outcomes and in making sure that we're providing the best patient outcomes. Um, but um, we see, now we see um, DNP programs that focus on education or DNP programs that focus on uh, research or you know, they have more research classes or, or whatever. And I think it really needs to be what your strategic plan is or your goal of your university is. And you just have to be very careful about making sure you're going to, you're following the essentials because if not, you could lose your accreditation uh, related to that. So um, um, I'm all for education. And if you're learning and if you're doing something and that's improving patient outcomes, um, you know, just be careful that you know what you're doing. And, and I've had many a DNP student that said, I had no idea what the difference was. And I would have done a PhD program because I want to do research. And they thought that the DNP right. was research. Um, and it is not. You follow research pro process, but you're actually pulling data that's been done and implementing it and testing it. So there's a fine, again, there's a fine line there. Well, in that research, you know, but you're not developing new knowledge. You're not developing a new idea or, you know, um, that scientific piece that's been done and now you're testing it. So, um, yeah. And I, and I think that, that that's one. Of, thank you for clarifying that because a lot of people like I talk to 
uh, like you know, people that 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 were that've been around for a little longer than me uh, in the world of nursing. Uh, a lot of them actually, uh, you know, uh, have said like, "Oh, this was supposed to be for nurse practitioners, so they have equal say in when they're sitting in with physicians, and they should have a doctorate as well." And a lot of the, the a lot of those impressions uh, are out there. And you're right about the research piece because there are universities, and I and I know people who've gone through the program where. They're almost going through a PhD program, it feels like, except <clears throat> they're they're finishing like in two years. Um, and I'm like, how are you doing everything in two years? And it's just so, uh, and I think you're you're right. There is a, there is a fine line between um, translation of research into practice. And I think that's what's missing. And that's where the DMPs are able to fill that gap. Uh, so absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, so thank you for that. I learned something. <laughs> Not that I'm surprised I learned something. I learned something. Uh, well, I learned great. something every day. That's a good thing. We should so, learn something every day. <laughs> that is. So thank you. Thank you for that little piece uh, piece of knowledge. Um, now I know uh, your own personal work, uh, and I love I love the compliments you're in alternative medicine. A good friend of mine, um, who I was in the Navy with, left the came out of the Navy and started doing uh, uh, Eastern medicine. Mm-hmm. and was certified and and he did that for many years in in texas actually he moved back home to texas and uh he did uh he did he opened up his own shop and i know it works um what is uh was it how do we incorporate uh that piece into nursing because i don't think we talk about it enough we don't teach about it at all i think um how do we uh what what, what has your your experience been with alternative medicine uh, and complementary medicine and where do you think it lives in the world of nursing? Oh, I think it's very important in nursing. And I think we do a lot of it and we don't even realize that we're doing alternative practices. Um, you know, it's, it's ironic that it's called alternative medicine because medicine doesn't, it's not medicine. It's <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, these, these alternative practices, um, Many of them work and many of them um, may don't work, you know, and um, as a healthcare provider, whatever type of healthcare provider is, you know, you are unique to know, um, you know, get, get at least a little bit of a background. Um, it's not taught in, in programs. It's, um, it, it's, it's more taught um, nowadays, um, you know, medicine, medical schools are, starting to teach it but again it depends on the program if they think if someone thinks it's important enough to have an alternative medicine um, course in the program then they'll do it but um, it's sort of like culture you know but now culture is a big thing and everybody wants a culture course or whatever but um, uh, you know it's just a choice where do you want to fit it in Um, could it be an extra assignment when you're doing mid-surge nursing or you know when you're looking at pain management and things like acupuncture or whatever, what type of alternative medicine? Herbs are a very, I mean, that's a, a very, very touchy issue. You cannot say any herbs are for treatment of a certain you know, illness. Um, you have to be very careful about that. Um, herbs, uh, different people make different types of herbs and it's, the quality is very different when you have pills or you know, since it's not FDA approved, um, you can have a different, like a valerian. I did research with valerian. You might have a valerian tablet with the with very poor quality, 
are a lot of fillers in the tablet or, and it depends on how it's made. And if it's poorly made, it doesn't get absorbed in the body. You know, the whole pill gets expelled, <laughs> pooped <Right>. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there are so many variables that have to do with that. Now herbs, um, uh, you know, doing research with herbs, um, you have to have a mechanism of action. You have to know. So for valerian, we knew that um, there had been some pharmacokinetic studies that showed that valerian worked like benzodiazepines. And so my research was looking at restless leg syndrome and benzodiazepines are used to treat restless legs. So there was a connection. Okay, well then would valerian work in place of a benzo for RLS? So there's got to be a connection there that you can make um, to, to say, yes, I want to do research in this area. You can't just pick anything out of the sky and say, uh, oh, let's do this. There's got to be a mechanism of action there. So, um, but yeah, I, I always, I um, also did a publication with a student that was interested in using honey for wound care. And there had been a lot, I mean, a long time ago, people used honey for wound care. Um, and um, that was, that's been used. Uh, and I, you know that you wouldn't even, you wouldn't think about that. There's so many things out there, but how would you incorporate it? It's got to be one person that has the passion for it, you know, or one person that wants to see it, or um, you know, one faculty member that wants to do a a, a course in it, or you know, uh, any anything um, you know along that line. Um, there is some some um, I think there's something about making sure you have, have it somewhere in the curriculum, but it's just a very small amount. So um, the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine um, is, which I think they have a new name, but um, you know, that is a, an excellent website with the, from NIH that you, that I would, I would say, look at that as a resource. They have all, they have a lot of the alternative medicines that you can click on and they can show, they show what evidence there is. Um, acupuncture has a lot of evidence. Uh, chiropractor has a practice medicine has a lot of evidence that, you know, that it works. They don't even like to be called alternative, you know, because they, right. because they have so much evidence that says, no, this isn't an alternative. This is real. So, um, so, so yeah, yeah. I think we do need to put it. There's the holistic nurses association. There's a group with the holistic nursing. Um, and, uh, you know, if this is something that you're, that any of you that are listening are interested in, it's, it's a good area to be in and it, and there's not many of you and, and making your niche in nursing and being a future leader, that's how you get there. That's what, that's what you do. You find your passion and you stick with it and you say, this is what I want to do. And you get, become better educated. You go to classes, you get certified, you know, you get your, your PhD in it, we'll do research with it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, you, you, you make sure that you know as much as you can about it. Yeah. And I think, and I think, uh, you're absolutely right. I think one of the issues is our, uh, especially from an undergraduate level, um, our nurses are just simply not exposed to all the different areas they can practice in. Uh, like I said, we don't talk about this. I know, uh, uh my, my buddy before he, he left alternative medicine to do some, um, um, work with another organization that works with uh, veterans and mental health, uh, issues. Um, he, he made a concoction for me, like a, that was going to be like, you know, a tea concoction for, 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 uh, for, for respiratory illnesses. He gave it to me. He said, whenever you have a cold, just take, you know, he gave me the dosage and everything. I just remembered it smelled horrible. The first time <laughs> I made it, 
I was like, oh my God, he's trying to kill me. But but hey, it worked. It worked. That's all I can say. It worked. Whether my body didn't want another dose of it, whatever it was, it kicked out whatever that was in the system. So I know another, it worked. Um, another practice is mindfulness meditation that's real popular right now. Right. Uh, and and the, the spirituality route of, of mindfulness, you know, there's a lot of things um, related to that that... Um, there's there's just literally thousands of types of alternative practices yeah yeah i agree i mean even some of the stuff i think as you're talking some of the stuff that we teach in 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 the undergraduate level where we talk about music therapy for pain management and and you know things like that 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 it is alternative we don't just don't call it that Um, we don't we don't bring attention to it we just uh use use it so and i think part of that has to do i the, the i think the part that i think why we need to concentrate a little bit more on that is uh, is gaining not only understanding but acceptance of the practices that are out there that people do on their own already, whether it's cultural or it's from you know from you know their hometown or their home country or whatever it is the the practices that people have have adopted. Um, I think we need to just have be more open to those and understand how it affects them, how it affects their bodies, how it affects, uh, you know, um, the whole concept and how do we integrate that? Um, so then, I think that, yeah, now, then you start crossing over, which is exactly how, what happened to me. You start crossing over to cultural mm-hmm. acceptance, cultural competence, you know, cultural uh, humility, whichever, whatever the terms you want to call. There's a lot of different terms. They change. They, they cultural humility is a, is a popular one right now. Um, I, I've been pushing cultural humility for years. I know. Uh, I, like cultural confidence never made sense to me. I'm like, I'm not even competent in my own culture. How am right. I going to be competent <laughs> in somebody else's? That's right. That's right. Uh, oh, there's, 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 I think there's four or five of them. I didn't probably more than that, but yeah. anyway, um, You've got you've got to look at the, a person's culture and accept what they use and what they practice and their their um, their uh, cultural medicine, if you will. You know, like Asian or um, you know, there's 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 the American Indian. Um, there's just a variety of them that you know. What do they use and why is ours any better? You know, what really and truly, body, mind, and soul. If they don't think ours is better. And they think theirs is better than theirs is better, right? It's like you can't you can't go in and just barge in and say, oh, you got to do this, and when they don't accept that. So uh, that we I did a webinar yesterday on vaccine hesitancy, and we were talking about culture, and um, you know it's the same principle. You know, based on a person's culture, you've really got to get into what they believe and what they are thinking and what they understand. What is their health? What is their, what is their education? What is their kinship? What is their, you know, uh, socialization? Uh, It's all those things that they decide what their care is going to be. And we can't go in and just push it on people that have um, vaccine hesitancy that, um, you know, that, that are really being challenged by, by our belief system, our COVID-19 and all that. So um, there's several theories, cultural theories that um, could sort of guide you and help you look at that and decide, you know, one of them is Madeline Leininger's uh, culture care theory. And she talks about um, a lot of different things that make up culture care and 
uh, it has to do with alternative medicine and all, all of this stuff. So, you know, I would, uh, it, it, a lot of people don't like theories and they say, oh my God, I don't want to study theories, but we all practice on a theory, whether you realize it or not, you practice using a theory uh, and um, understanding it can, can uh, you know, just, just know that, that you can't practice without a theory, whether you believe that a patient has a right to do this or it's the family or whatever, you are practicing on a theory. So, um, and it's a theory based on your cultural beliefs. I'll say, I'll, I'll put that <laughs> in real quick. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very true. Uh, it's very true. And, and I was, I was sort of disappointed when I came, when I was, when I had gone through my undergraduate program full of nursing theories, when I came back to teach, the theories have kind of disappeared. Uh, and a lot of schools have moved away from teaching theories or so when you talk about theories to students like later I usually have them later in there as they're going out the door uh so when, when I talk about theories they're like they're they're sort of confused and like whether you know it or not you are practicing under mm -hmm. some theory you just haven't named it uh so uh so it's interesting you bring that up and it's, yeah. I think it's kind of unfortunate that we've moved yeah, away we're, we're one of the few disciplines left that we're using theories and and you learn about theories and you want it to guide your practice or your research or whatever um but we don't we don't really require it in manuscripts anymore you know like like you, when when we first when I first went to my master's program you know we had a nursing theory class and then when I did my doctorate we had a nursing theory class it was like theory was just pushed down your throat and and we really didn't use it that much i mean but but it was so important to learn it because it we do use it again just like i'm talking about how to the question yesterday was how do we get through people's um cultural beliefs to get them over this vaccine hesitancy and i said go to madeline Linder's theory you can see you can that's what you do look at her theory it's been tested to uh, i don't want to say break through their walls but to improve that um, cultural understanding and, and make sure uh, that the people that are making decisions are there together, those kinship ties. And uh, what is their education? You know, what do they believe about this? You know, so, um, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's there. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I think my frame framework perspective theories are so important because it, get, it puts everything in a concept for you, right? From beginning to end, even though you have to fill in the blanks in the middle, it really, it, it really helps with that, with that concept. And uh, even like when I was going through my undergraduate program, we, we, we talked about Orem uh, left and right. And it was, it was incorporated into everything and everything we did had to have something Orem related. Yeah. And even, and it was built into the curriculum. You know, right. your curriculum was developed based on Orem or, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, yeah, we do. So, so, yeah. So like, you know, when my girls were, you know, uh, they're still little, but when they were more little, uh, like when they fell, I'm like, oh, get up, you know, just shake it up. I'm like, hey, that's Orem. I'm teaching her how to, you know, self-care and all that stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you, you put up, yeah, uh, so. a little bit. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, as just because it's, it was, it's been, it's been taught to me over the years and, and I've used it for, for my own research. I think it gives me a good, good foundation to build whatever it is I'm building. 
um, it gives me a framework to work off of instead of trying to create your my own uh, sort of frameworks that I think sometimes may lead you wrong down the wrong path. Um, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, so let's talk about um, if you don't mind, just uh, sort of in the same arena, but a little little, little uh, diversion. Um, so you were, you are, or you are the immediate past president of the National Association for Hispanic Nurses. Um, can we talk about uh, the organization a little bit and um, how can we um, bring in uh, more diversity in the world of nursing? Because we are still primarily uh, mostly white female um, um, profession. So how do we increase that and, and just want to have your take on it. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's that... the next question. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm teasing you. So um, the National Association of Hispanic Nurses represents Latino nurses or anybody interested in Latino health care. You do not have to be Latino to be a member, um, but the majority are Latinos. Um, we are not focused on any one area in nursing, so we're not like cardiovascular or pediatrics or whatever. We are um, more of a service organization um, that we do a lot of community-based grassroots uh, projects, if we do projects. Um, so um, we have, right now, we probably have about 1,700 nurses are not uh, members in our organization. And um, we um, do have some research grants that we have been asked to participate in, but there, there are a lot of them are, some of them are program grants. Uh, I'll tell you one of them is the All of Us Research Grant, um, which is uh, looking at precision medicine. And it, it is um, a genetic, uh, part of it is a genetic study, but there's other factors that they look at as well. But um, we want to improve the health outcomes and they're looking at the precision medicine, they're looking at the genetic makeup to see what are the best um, interventions for Latinos or um, Asians or American Indians or whatever. So they want to get 1 million people and they really want to try to represent as many uh, underrepresented groups as possible. And so we have partnered with them to increase, to, to go out and educate Latinos and to increase um, that visibility of not only non, but the All of Us Research Program. Um, we, we do, at one point in time, we made up a very small percentage. It was only like two or 3% of all nurses were Latino. And now we're up to about 10 or 11. Uh, we've really worked hard on it to try to get people. But I also think it's the way people are reporting. And I want to say that Latina, being a Latino or a Hispanic is not a race. It's an ethnicity. So you have race. You have white. You have black. You have um, Asian. You have Indian. Um, those are races. Ethnicity is being Latino. You can be white and a Latino. You can be black and Latino. You can be Asian. Like let's say you are Asian and you were raised in Mexico. Well, and you speak Spanish, you could be Asian and you can be Indian and be, and of course we're talking about uh, the Aztec and many of the, um, that, that group that uh, is Latino. So uh, 
for many, many years, they would say, um, you know, Latino, not white. And, and that just aggravates me to death because that <laughs> makes me decide whether I want to report white or whether I want to report Hispanic or Latino. So it's just, okay, what am I going to be today? When I first moved to Alabama, they did that. And I called them and I said, look, if you really want a good representation, you know, you need to separate out being Latino or not, because that is not a race. And they did. And those numbers increased a little bit. When you do research, you need to be very careful about how they're reporting research, you know, or is it really accurate? Um, so uh, that is a big topic. That's a big issue. Um, you know, not only in research, but how we report Latinos. So that number did increase to like 10 or 11%, but our organization has been fighting, fighting for that and educating. And, um, you know, we, we had a big um, grant about five years ago um, to educate uh, um, Latinos about nursing. And we started at the junior high level. We don't wait until they graduate. We, we start very early. And the reason why is because the guidance counselors would often tell Latinos, oh, you can't get into, you can't do that. You need to go to a technical, you need to, you don't need to take science courses. You're not smart enough, da, 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 da. So, um, you know, we did have, we did work with some guidance counselors and said, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta stop that. <laughs> you can't do that, you know? Um, and that was, that was important, you know? The other, there's so many barriers for Latinos to get into nursing programs. And it's not only Latinos, it's all minorities. Well, I'm not gonna say that because uh, if you look at Asians, they have very high scores with sciences and stuff. And, uh, but Latinos do not. And there's very, there's a lot of reasons. If they're migrants and they're going from school to school to school, there's never one person that they can mentor and, or that mentors them, or there's never one way you can follow with them. Um, if the, uh, the best schools, they may not be going to the best schools because they're not, they don't, they may be in poverty. Uh, they may not have access to computers. Um, families often say, you don't need to go to school. You need to go work because we need money. Um, the entry level is usually an ADN degree. And when they get there, families will say, why do you need to go back to school? You're making money now. So you don't need to go back to school. So you don't have the advanced practice nurses or the PhDs or whatever. Um, less than 1%, when I first got my PhD, less than 1% of Latino nurses had their PhD. Right. That's how rare, rare it was. The, the problem with that is when you do, when you are Latino and you go to nursing school and you go and you say, where are people, where are the people like me? Where are the, the faculty members that are Latinos? And when I went to nursing school, there wasn't one Latina. There was not one Latino faculty. Um, I had in, in my HRSA grant that, um, that is just ended, I had students that tell me they didn't even know that they could get a, a PhD. They didn't even know that there was advanced degrees in nursing because they had never seen anybody that looked like them that was teaching them or that was in uh, leadership areas, uh, levels in healthcare. They didn't see Latino doctors or people in the offices. There were no Latinos and, um, you know, now we see more, of course, because that number is increasing. But um, you know that's why we just haven't had those increased numbers, and we're seeing more of them. And I think we're seeing you know 
Latinos are seeing that this is a possibility and there's a, a lot of resources available now. Um, but yeah, we need, we, we're, and as the uh, future of nursing 2030, you know, the, the, one of the main goals was, um, you know, increasing the workforce diversity. And, and they're talking about a, a broad range of, of groups. Um, the National Coalition of Ethnic Minority Nurses Association is a group, uh, it's five organizations. It's non, it's NBNA for the black nurses. It's the Asians, uh, it's the Philippine, Philippines, um, and then the American Indian. And you can, it's N-C-E-M-N-A. And remind me, I'll, I'll put that, you know, you said you'd put some uh, websites or whatever. We can put some of these websites up. Um, if any of you are underrepresented or minorities in this group, you should join your organizations that can support you. We provide scholarships. Um, we provide research funds, not much, but, um, you know, but you'll see people that look like you and you'll, we, at our conference, you know, it's important that we get our students there so that they can see what you can be when you grow up, you know, uh, and, and, and even me, it's like, I see, oh my gosh, I, I want to do that, <laughs> you know, um, so it's important that students see people like themselves or they'll never have role models. They'll never have mentors. Um, so. It's uh, yeah. I, 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 as you're talking, you're making all kinds of wheels up here spin. Um, but um, it's when you mentioned that I do teach in the, in the ADN to BSN bridge programs. Mm -hmm. uh, and I use some of, like I said, I use my podcast in my classes and uh, so many of my students uh, who are Latino, uh, they, they really gravitate uh, to some of my speakers uh, that are uh, from the same area or from the same background specifically. And, and a lot of them do say, I've, I didn't know I could do this, or I didn't know this was a possibility. Now I'm going to look into it. Uh, so it's, you're absolutely right. I don't think we have enough representation, especially in academia. We still don't, we don't have enough representation. And, I, and it's funny, you're in California. And I'm in California. <laughs> well, I'm in LA. I'm in LA, the, one of the most diverse places that you could have. And we still don't have, a, 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 the, I think, enough representation where, um, and these are, um, these, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I 100% agree. We, we don't have it. And it's something that we need to, as a profession, we really need to work on. And it's no, interesting. You, you mentioned you started junior high. I was uh, some of my other speakers are like, yeah, start elementary school pretty soon. It's going to be preschool. We need to get them early because by yeah. the time, by the time they're in high school and they're already in college, it's too late. It's too late. Or they want to go into medicine. They don't want, they right. don't even think about nursing. Yeah. Or yeah. they want to go into medicine. That's true. Very true. So thank you for that. Um, thank you so much. You, you shared so much with me. Uh, anything else you want to share with our, uh, with our audience? Well, um, we didn't talk about the, the Journal of Transcultural Nursing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know how I, that, well, yeah, let's, okay. let's, let's, let's talk about that. Well, just briefly, because I know we're time, our time is getting um, short, but um, Lord have mercy, if you had asked me if I would ever be an editor of a journal back when I was getting my baccalaureate degree or my master's uh, or my doctorate, I would have said, no way. But this opportunity came up and I said, yes, and I applied and I got the position 
And uh, it has made such a big difference in my life. And I just want to say that you never know what opportunity is going to um, fall in your lap. And I would challenge all of you, never say no. And, and always think, of, you know, this could be something that, um, you know, I believe in God. So I'll just say this should be something that God put in your path. And don't be scared to try something new and different. And um, I started doing, uh, I was the editor in 2012, I believe. Um, and uh, it has been, um, I, I have 12 associate editors. We receive about 400 articles per year. And it's quite a big job to go through all those and, and work with people to get them ready for publication. It is a process, but I want to encourage all of you to think about, especially if your master's or doctoral prepared, to think about how you can use your work and your, in your education to publish an article. Um, you know, everything you do in your schoolwork should be focused on your, uh, on your job. So if you take a research class and you're being asked to, um, you know, look something up, look something up that you're interested in. Don't just do it to, because it's just to fill a, a, an obligation, get the best that you can out of it. Work on becoming an expert in everything that you do in your classes, whether it's theory or quality improvement or informatics or, you know, whatever course you're taking. Um, you know, what do you, what you, if you're an ER nurse and you see that, you know, you're concerned about XYZ, you know, do all your, do all your stuff on that XYZ, but make sure it's making you become a better practitioner. Uh, that's what education is supposed to do. It's not just to be able to say that you have your master's or that you're going to sign your name um, DNP or PhD or EDD or whatever. You know, that is such a waste of time if you're doing that and you really need to continue to grow and, and learn as much as you can and publish and publish. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Journal of Transcultural Nursing focuses on um, culturally congruent healthcare meaning that we're trying to identify the best ways to treat different cultures um, that is congruent that we can do and they and um, the uh, different cultures can we can work together so that the health outcomes are, are better. We did redefine what culture was, you know, it used to just be that it was race and ethnicity, but culture is so much more than that now. It's age, it's sexuality, um, it's uh, where you work, it's organizational. Military has a specific culture where they have to, um, you know, work in. Um, so uh, it's gender. Uh, there's just so many things that, um, that, that we use and um, uh, that can define culture. Yeah, thank you. For, thank you. As you were talking about this, and, and I'm thinking, and, I, and, I, and my research is veteran centric. So I'm like, hey, maybe I need to. Uh, sent you a manuscript <laughs> you have to focus on the on the culture of that but absolutely yes absolutely. yes there's definitely uh, a lack of information uh for um for veterans care in the civilian community um so yeah definitely oh, yeah that's a big that's a big issue especially around mental health oh especially yes absolutely i agree um i i i have uh, i don't mind sharing this uh but um, I was uh, diagnosed with PTSD after my service. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, and the first thing that uh, uh, I saw, I, I saw, I saw a, a therapist and the first thing out of his mouth, he said, you should go to the VA. Uh, and I wasn't in the VA system. Um, so, and it just showed right there, it showed me that 
how civilian healthcare providers don't know the VA process. And it was, it would have been, uh, you know, like maybe, you know, like six months to a year by the time you're in that system. So when you have a need and you're trying to meet it and you're not in the VA system, and a lot of veterans are, are denied VA healthcare because of their, uh, discharge status or their own experience with the VA, they're not in that system. So um, it's super important that we get our uh, civilian healthcare workers up to speed and taking care of our veteran community. Uh, so thank you for that. So you, you're making my wheels spin. Uh, so, <laughs> so. Good. I like that. Making, I'm going to, maybe I need to write, I want to make your wheels spin. Yeah, so that's a good yeah. thing. I like it when people make my wheels spin and when I go to a conference or whatever and I just have a list of things, I'm so excited and motivated. Um, and that's another thing I would encourage anybody that's listening to this is make sure you go to your conferences and get your extra boost of energy for your profession uh, and for what you do. Um, I just, I don't see how uh, I could be where I'm at today if I didn't, you know, have my professional organizations. You know, I don't know how people don't get... I don't know where people get their uh, continue to continue on because I need my boost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I miss in-person conferences. The online oh, stuff is, is great, but I, 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 the energy I get out of in-person I conferences, know. I am not getting out of these it's very, uh, online it's stuff. But. I, I'm, I can't wait until uh, this all is over, but it will be over probably another year. I think it's going to be another year. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, you know, last year when someone said, oh, we're going to be in this for two years, I was thinking, oh, my God, please don't let that be. Please don't let that be. And here we are. There, It's probably going to be another year. Probably another please year. get vaccinated. Please yes. get vaccinated. Yes, please. Um, uh, so thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Uh, and hopefully we can stay connected. Uh, and uh, um and yeah, so thank you. Thank you. I appreciate everything you've shared. Um, yeah. And if anybody wants to contact me for any information uh, about NON, about all of us, the research program about all of us, y'all can all join and be a part of all of us. And there's a lot of people in California that are doing it. So I would really encourage you to be a part of that as well. Um, and um, yeah, culture. Great. I can, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. We have been listening to no Dr. Norma Cuellar, uh, and uh, we shall uh, thank you again for your time, and we will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.